You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. How old? All right. Uh, Blake, Brother Reverend Blake, is going to come and give a devotion this morning. of a devotion and more of a quick thought. Um, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Um, Mark 8.34 says, And when he called the people unto him and his disciples also, he said unto them, Whoever shall come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Um... Jesus died on the cross knowing that nobody could ever love him the way he loved us. And some wouldn't even acknowledge that he was Jesus. Well, acknowledge that he lived or that he was God. But he did it anyway for everyone who was, is, and will be. And that's a love worth living for. Alrighty, the teens and whosoever will can be dismissed, looks like it. Took a good class this morning. Have you started YouTube yet, Ryan? Okay. I think moving forward, I'm going to try to give me a few, give me a little bit, and I think I'll start giving y'all a signal. Um, I don't have, I'm just, I don't have my wireless or anything on yet. That's fine, that's fine. No, 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 please don't be. Uh, I got to communicate better. Uh, but we are going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10 today, if you have your Bible. It's kind of an unusual message. Um, Interesting one, though. My motive is connected with the message that I'll be preaching during the, the regular service. All right. And we're good with every if you stopped it. If not, that's cool. Um, but uh, in 2 Corinthians 10, have any of you ever had any critics? Anybody ever criticize you? Uh well, we all do, I believe. Um, when you get in a place of uh, leadership, a lot of times that can go to another level of criticism. Uh, that's what Paul experienced. And in the book of uh, 2 Corinthians, well, first I'll say a couple things about Corinth, uh, just to give a little bit of context here. Number one, the city of Corinth itself, you know, I was actually interested to learn that uh, how important of a city Corinth was. I, I learned this a number of years ago. But as far as ancient cities, Corinth is not one that I had heard a whole lot about, just as far as in passing, uh, you know, hearing about history, hearing people talk about history or whatever. Corinth was just not a city that I had, I don't remember ever hearing about, I'll say, till I re started reading the Bible. Uh, but uh, Corinth was an extremely uh, important city, and renowned city of the ancient world. 
Uh, it was uh, very, very prominent in the first century. It was located in uh, Greece on an isthmus between the Aegean and the uh, Ionian seas, uh, which guaranteed its importance both militarily and commercially. So basically, basically on this isthmus, they had uh, made almost like a little uh, dry dock land bridge thing to where they would, uh, they would connect the two seas, and it just became a very important city. It actually became a very uh, wicked city. It was a, it was a, a sailor's town, Matt and Bud. It was, uh, there was a, uh, just a lot of sailors in and out of there all the time, and uh, both of you, uh, I'm sure, had seen that in your careers. But it was just known to be a very wicked city. Um, matter of fact, the Corinthians were known to be so wicked that it got to be a thing to where people would actually call, if somebody was like really wicked, they would just call them basically a Corinthian. They had another way of saying it, but basically they would call them a Corinthian. It's a lot like a Cretan. That's one that's kind of hung around, you know, to where uh, that meant something. People from the island of Crete had a certain reputation. Well, same thing with the Corinthians. Uh, Acts 18 tells us that uh, a little bit about Paul's ministry in uh, Corinth during his second missionary journey. So this was one of these churches that was established. Paul went into this wicked city and established a church that did very well and was very successful. When you study the book of 1 Corinthians, you realize that they didn't get away from some of their wicked ways. And uh, it's amazing to me when you think about, have you ever just imagined these first century churches, the churches that saw Paul, had Paul preached and, uh, you know, saw these amazing things? Do you just ever imagine these as being the most solid churches ever? I do. I've always imagined those churches like, man, if there was ever a church to where people were, you know, sound and on fire for God and, and doing the right thing. It had to be those first century churches. Uh, but uh, all it takes is a little bit of reading to the letters that were written to these churches to find out that they, they had uh, their uh, fair share of problems. Uh, and Corinth was, uh, was no uh, exception to that. Now, I'm not going to give a whole big background, just a little bit of this, but so 1 Corinthians, he wrote to them. 2 Corinthians, he's writing back, addressing some of the things that were said in 1 Corinthians. The message I'm going to preach in the service today, I'm going to be preaching about, are you weak enough to win? Are you weak enough to win? And because I'm going to be talking about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Uh, so that's the message that I'm going to be preaching today. And as I've done, uh, I, I did this over the, over the, through the holidays, how that a lot of times when I was preaching, whatever I was preaching during the morning service, I would take Sunday school to try to give a little bit of background for. So that's the spirit of this, because basically if you kind of go, uh, now I'm going to go forward to the message from this that I'm going to be preaching later and go back to where we are now. Paul says he has a thorn in his flesh. Does anybody remember just off the top of your head why Paul had a thorn in his flesh? Well, that's, that's the, there, there's speculation that it was Paul's eyes, and, and there's a lot of people that tend to agree with that. The Bible doesn't say for sure that it was his eyes, but there are some that believe that to be the case. Uh, but what was, it, what was the reason that, that, that this thorn was in Paul's flesh, so to speak? He, so he could depend on the Lord, Ryan? There you go. And, and both of those are the two, two different aspects, but that... That is the phrase I was looking for. So he didn't think 
above himself, above measure, that he didn't exalt himself too highly. Because what happens here is in chapter 10, Paul begins to speak to his critics. And up to this point, Paul has kind of mostly let this go. But now, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost of God, he begins to talk about the criticisms that are directed toward him. And in doing so, he eventually, we won't get to it this morning, but eventually, going into chapter number 11, he starts confirming his apostleship. He starts, if you will, the way we would maybe phrase it is he starts pulling rank. And he starts saying, hey, I am the apostle of the Lord. And he begins to, uh, what he calls foolishly, kind of boast about his calling and his position that God has placed him in. Uh, so he goes through mostly chapter 11 and starts talking about a lot of that stuff very reluctantly, but he's inspired by the Holy Ghost to do so. And when I say he's boasting, he's not boasting in the true sense of the word, but he is just letting them know, hey, y'all are saying I'm not an apostle, or y'all are doing this, and, and y'all are questioning the word of God that I'm preaching to you. I want to let you know this is why this cannot be questioned. And he just begins to tell them about who he is and his calling in Christ. Then it leads up after that, to him saying, and by the way, if you think I'm boasting or bragging, let me tell you what the Lord did. God sent a thorn in my flesh so that I couldn't think of myself more highly than I should think of myself. God sent a thorn in my flesh to humble me, to teach me to depend on God. To uh, And literally, the phrase he said especially was, lest I be exalted above measure. So that's the message later, is him talking about having a thorn in his flesh. And of course, I believe ultimately, even going back to that, is that Paul was stoned in Lystra, and I do believe that Paul died and got to go to heaven, and, uh, and then it was when he came back from that is when he said God put a thorn in his flesh. But this all starts with uh, what's being addressed in chapter number 10, and so that's my motivation. I, I thought it'd be interesting to share some of these things. Uh, Paul answers his critics. And so we're just going to kind of go through uh, this chapter verse by verse, just kind of walk through here, um, learning some interesting things about the background of Paul and Corinth. Maybe we can learn, if, hopefully make some application to our own lives as well. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1, Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent, I am bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with you with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think, as, think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. So here you get a picture of it. Verses 1 and 2 reveal quite a few things. So Right, right away, he reveals, and this is, this is spoken of, alluded to other times through Corinthians, but Paul reveals a matter of great contention between him and some of the people in Corinth. People that are trying to discredit Paul. People that are, and we'll see some of the things they're saying. One of the things that he is accused of is they say that Paul seemed to be reserved in person but he was bold in his letters. That's where he says that in meekness and gentleness, who in presence am base among you, but being absent, I am bold toward you. 
And they were saying, you know what, Paul? You talk a real big and bad game when you're not here, when you write us these letters. But then you show up, and then you seem to be nice, and you seem to be gracious, and you seem to be uh, this, uh, this, uh, this, this loving, caring person. And Paul's, Paul's basically saying, I'm both. But they're accusing Paul of duplicity is what they're doing in several different ways. Um, have you ever found out when somebody wants to criticize you, it don't matter what you do. Have you ever known somebody where you just don't feel like you could win? Uh, that's kind of how Paul was with these Corinthians. Uh, and not in all of them, but there were was, there was some people that were starting trouble in the church there. And they were, basically, it's, it's funny, it's a little funny, it's not funny when you actually think about him experiencing it. But literally, these people were the type to where when he would preach bold, they would accuse him of being uncaring. But then when he would turn around and preach again, and it would be a, a, a gentle, encouraging type message, then they would criticize him for not being bold enough. Uh, you know, it's almost like they would uh, criticize him for being loud, but then they could criticize him for putting them to sleep. Or, I mean, it's like no matter which way Paul went, these Corinthians would accuse him of, of the same things. And, but it was just that there were some of them that were bound and determined uh, to be against the Apostle Paul. Um, so they accused him of backing down, being bold in the letters, and face-to-face uh, being one who would back down from confrontation. Uh, now, how can a person be uh, in presence lowly and bold in at other times? And, you know, just think about that for a second. Can somebody be bold and caring can you be bold in one moment and tender and caring and compassionate in one, another moment of course you can the lord jesus did that um but they were saying since paul well boy you're really seem this way and it's 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 a it's a questioning and one of the one of the worst types of judgments and and you know it would give it would give good place to talk about judging and so forth uh you know, judging is kind of a part of life. Not all judging is necessarily in the negative sense. We, we do positive judgments too, don't we? Uh, we don't get upset about those kind, and, and we don't usually think about it in that terminology. I mean, if, if I judge that you're a wonderful, beautiful person, well, I'm judging you technically. It's just that it's a positive type of thing. But the type of judgment that's really warned about, the Bible tells us we need to judge when it comes to teachers and preachers of the Bible. We need to judge and, and, and look at the fruit and, and, and listen. We don't just need to take in everybody that says they, uh, that they love the Lord and are preaching and teaching the Bible or some kind of expert. Uh, we don't just take that and say, oh, well, okay, wonderful. We'll take that. No, the Bible says we've got to uh, exercise some judgment and discernment toward that. But the type of judgment that is for sure condemned in the Word of God is the judgment of people's motives. And I've talked about that before. The judgment of people's motives. Uh, you can judge what someone does, but be careful about judging a person's motive. I think one of the real practical things here uh, that we can learn, you know, I, I've, I've been talking a lot about this lately, but I've been thinking about unity. Uh, and it's not because we don't have unity. I've, I've said, man, we've been so blessed when it comes to love and unity within this church. But we, we, have, these, we have these opportunities teaching the Bible to encourage ourselves to safeguard against that. But a lot of church trouble can come from the judgment of motives. Um, and, and that's what they're kind of doing here. They're judging the motives of the Apostle Paul. 
Uh, I use an example. I say it's a silly example, but it's not so silly about just normal church stuff. Uh, does anybody in here ever forget something? Okay. Uh, maybe, maybe you forget to, maybe you, maybe you were going to call someone and you forgot to call them. Maybe you were going to, uh, okay, so if you've ever been in the situation where you forgot and, man, I forget sometimes. It's awful. There's a reason why uh, these days I try, to, I try to put things in my calendar or on my reminders, like, right away. Because uh, sometimes here, you know what happens to me on Sunday mornings? I'll be told about, like, it may not be an exaggeration sometimes that I might, I might be told 12 different things from the time I get here to the time I leave that are things that I need to maybe do or check up on in between here well, a lot of times, sometimes I'll get my phone out right away and be like, okay, hold on, <laughs> let me get that out. And by the way, if this is something that really needs to be done, uh, uh, you, you don't have to be condescending about it, but you may want to say, do you want to put this in your reminder, Pastor? Uh, because there's a good chance that I'm going to forget about it. I'm not proud of that, but I, I often do. So we forget about things. So you may forget something, and, 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 it, and it's true, I can judge and say, Ron, you forgot this. That's true. That, that's not a wrong judgment. That's a right judgment. The wrong judgment is when I say, Ron, you forgot this because you just don't really care, do you? You see, that's where it's wrong. Because now all of a sudden, now I know Ron's motive. Now I know why he forgot or why he didn't do what he said he was going to do. You see what I'm saying? And within church, it's real easy to do that. Uh, I say within church, within families, we do it too. You ever known somebody like that? Uh, oh, I, I know. I know why this, or I know, I know why she did this, or he did this. Do you really? Do you really? Yes, I do, <laughs> you say. But what I'm saying is definitely be careful about judging people's motives. But that's what these people are doing. And what I'm talking about is misunderstanding. These, some of these people, they weren't misunderstanding anything. They were on the attack against the Apostle Paul, but unfortunately they were, they were leading other people against uh, the Apostle Paul. Uh, okay, so um, look at verse number two. I've already read it, but let's look at it again. But I beseech you, I beg you, that I may not be bold when I am present with you with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. In other words... He's saying, when I come, I don't want to come in there just bold and ripping and roaring and carrying on. But he says, there's some people in Corinth that I'm going to have to be bold with. I'm going to have to be pretty bold with. I'm going to have to really be confrontational with some of you. But he's saying, I would rather you get this right before I get there so I don't have to be confrontational with you. Uh, so that's what he's literally saying. He's saying, I'm coming to be bold. But it is with some of you. With some of you. A lot of times you can feel like everybody's against you when there's two people against you. The problem is, is the, the two people that are against you are the, are the loudest. Is that right? I think that's one of the reasons why it's good that we encourage one another and, and, and lift one another up. Uh, because a lot of times we don't... We don't uh, we don't do that enough. We don't ex exhort and admonish each other enough. But uh, so, so that's what. But look at the, the the accusation. The last part of verse number two of Second Corinthians ten. As if we walked according to the flesh. As if we walked according to the flesh. 
Now, here's where it's all at. Paul is saying, look, I'm not claiming to be perfect among you, but I am the man of God. And what I'm preaching and what I'm doing, the motivation for this stuff is not based on just, I feel like this is, this is just Paul's deal. This is what I'm trying to do. He's saying, I am an apostle of God. This is what God's want me to do. These letters I'm writing into you, this is the very word of God. Therefore, uh, you know, I, I'm not just walking according to the flesh here. And now, verses 3 through 5 are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. I'm not going to dwell on them because uh, I refer to them quite a lot. They're very, very good verses to know. Because he does say in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Which is to say, obviously, I'm in this body. Obviously, what I'm doing, I'm doing in this body. But I'm not using the energy and the wisdom and the power of man to accomplish what I'm doing. I may be in the flesh, but I'm not warring after the flesh. Then he goes on to say, in parentheses, parenthetically, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, which is to say fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. To the pulling down of strongholds. Um, and again, and, you know, we could look at some examples of, of uh, warring after the flesh versus warring after the spirit. What, I, just, just real quick here, what are some weapons of the flesh, so to speak, or carnal weapons that people try to use to accomplish uh, their goals or to meet therein? What are some of the, what are some of the weapons that are used uh, by people to try to accomplish their agenda? Anybody? What's some that you've used before? How about that? We're being honest. Um, how about this one? How about anger? You see what I'm saying? Now, you'll get on track. The Bible says, the Bible says this, that the, uh, uh, the, the wrath of man worketh not the will of God. Some people try to use anger to accomplish something. But Paul's saying, there's, now listen, understand something. There is a righteous anger. I always like, I try to point, remember to point that out when I talk about anger. There is a righteous anger. But a righteous anger is not that you said something, that you talked about me and now I'm mad and I'm going to come after you. And a righteous anger is not that Ron forgot to do what he said he was going to do. <laughs> and, and therefore, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'll show him. A righteous anger normally involves, normally, especially in our context, in our, in our culture, a righteous anger normally involves something, for instance, like uh, I'm angry about the, the, the killing of the unborn. If you're not bad about that, something, if you're not mad about that, something's wrong with you. If you're not mad about, um, you know, uh, what's going on with sex trafficking and, 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 and drug addiction, if you're not mad about that, if you're not mad about the agenda, there's something wrong with you. You're not angry about those things, but there's still, there's still a righteous way to be angry about these things, Okay. But what I'm saying today is that sometimes we use an unrighteous anger. We use an unrighteous anger to try to accomplish something. That doesn't really get things done. Paul says, that's not what I do. I do not use anger, a weapon of the flesh, to accomplish, to try to accomplish the will of God. Anybody think of another one? Anger? Manipulation. That's exactly what was on my mind. Manipulation. Uh, man, that, that's, that, religious people are good at that one, aren't they? 
Parents can sometimes be good at those. Manipul- I'm going to manipulate you. Uh, and, and, and we may try to justify manipulation because we feel like the, the ends justify the means. We may be manipulating this person, but we're trying to do what's best for this person. Well, still, uh, we need to let God do a work in this person's heart and not be manipulative. Uh, manipulation is another weapon of the flesh. Uh, anybody think of another one? Guilt, all right? Uh, guilt, uh, uh, sometimes you can use guilt to manipulate. We were actually talking about that a little bit. Uh, well, just a, a few of us that got here kind of early were just sitting and visiting. We were talking about not using guilt as a weapon. Uh, that's, that's, that's one of the uh, cultural norms, if you will, of our church, that we uh, do not use guilt as a weapon, and as well as these other things. But there's other churches that, man, they made your own guilt. They, uh, guilt is currency that they use to try to accomplish their means. But by the grace of God, listen, now God will make you feel guilty, amen? He will convict you, uh, and you may feel guilty, but for me to use guilt, I believe, is a form of manipulation when I'm trying to guilt you into doing something or not doing something. Uh, any other ones? That's right before we move on. I just thought it'd be good to stop and think about a couple of these. Anger, manipulation, guilt, weapons of the flesh. Uh, I I don't know about this, but there's an interesting example of somebody using, I believe, an example of the flesh. David famously, as a young teenager, defeated Goliath, and how did he do so? How did he defeat Goliath? What did God use to to help him defeat Goliath? The stone. And, And the reason why is because it wasn't that David's confidence was in the stone, was it? His confidence was in the Lord. He believed God. You know, it's one of, I guess that, that, that's got to be the most famous thing that David ever accomplished. Well, you follow some years that begin to go by after that. David's reputation began to grow. Saul's hatred toward David began to increase. Uh, ultimately, David found out through, uh, through Saul's son Jonathan, his best friend, he found out that Saul was just out to kill him. And he wasn't going to be stopped. He was going to kill him. So he decided to flee. But when he fled, he stopped by the high priest's place. He stopped by the temple, I believe. And does anybody remember what he got before he uh, left uh, Jerusalem? Goliath's sword. He went and got Goliath's sword. Now, I've heard this put a couple different ways. And I believe it can be applied a couple different ways. But I really believe that it's interesting that after trusting in the Lord, he decides that he needs a weapon, and so he goes and he takes Goliath's sword. Now, he doesn't go use that, and he doesn't go you know, fight Saul right after that, but he does go. Anybody remember where he goes, by the way, when he flees? The people that he goes to hang out with and affiliate with? It was the Philistines. The Philistines. These were the absolute enemies of God Almighty. And if you go and read the story, it's amazing because the way David does when he goes to try to align himself with the Philistines for safety, uh, he acts like he's lost his mind because the the, the Philistines at first think, man, okay, we know that you're a Philistine killer and are you just coming trying to infiltrate us? So he literally, he was letting spit come down his beard and he was acting like he had lost his mind so that they would accept him. 
And then ultimately, he did seek occasion against them, and he used that to overturn them. But my whole point is, it's a sad episode in the life of David. And I believe it all started with him, instead of trusting in the weapons of spiritual warfare, God's warfare, he trusted in carnal weapons. And that's to say this, that when we trust in carnal weapons, instead of warring in the spirit, we'll be made to look like a fool, much like David made himself look like a fool. But if we will, like Paul is saying here, Paul's saying, I'm in the flesh, but I'm not warring after the flesh. Verse 5 says this, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and, being, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now again, chapter 10, verses 3 through 5 are some of the greatest verses on spiritual warfare you'll find in the Bible. I'm not going to park there tonight. I, I go to those verses quite a bit. But I do just want to, before we move on from those verses, pause and bring back the context again. What is the context of one of the greatest passages on spiritual warfare? The context is some people who are defaming and that are causing trouble within a church and fighting against Paul the apostle. That's the context. And it made me think about uh, another passage to where it is a, it makes sense. Uh, 1 Corinthians, so not 2 Corinthians, but 1 Corinthians 2, verse number 11, the Bible says, lest Satan should get an advantage over us because we're not ignorant of his devices. I did my best to quote that. Uh, but that's 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11. Uh, Here's the interesting about that verse. The context of that verse is church unity. Church unity. Man, the local church is something that Jesus Christ placed on this earth with a mission. The local church is what God is doing and has been doing for the last 2,000 years. So it's no wonder that Satan would want to fight local churches. And you say, well, yeah, yeah, we're all the church and blah, blah, blah. And Get that. But I'm telling you, you look at the emphasis of the local church because you say, well, yeah, but these other great Christians go out and do other things. That's right. But they do so normally because they have been a part of some local church to where they have grown up and maybe they do go out and engage the world in some way. But ultimately, it started with the local church. Therefore, Satan's attack is against the, the local church. Furthermore, remember, these guys, these people that were in the church at Corinth that were trying to run down the Apostle Paul, um, there's another interesting thing to think about about this. Um, the name of Satan. What does Satan, what is the meaning of Satan? Accuser. Ain't that something? Accuser. So think about that for a moment. What are these people doing with Paul? They're accusing him. They're accusing him of duplicity. And they are sowing discord. So not only are they accusing Paul, but now they're going around the church and saying, hey, have you noticed Paul? Have you seen this with Paul? And they're pointing these things out about the Apostle Paul. So uh, once again, I'm not going to park on these verses very long, but it's interesting to think about uh, the, the, the Corinthians. Uh, all right, so let me, let me get back to my notes here. The Bible says 
uh, about some of these things, or we can learn, or we can surmise from some of the things that we've read in this chapter. Paul is accused of, um, oh yeah, I've already said that, about his gentleness and his severity. Paul defines his apostolic authority, which again, he is, um, he's reluctant to do. And may I hasten to say that in the sense that Paul is an apostle, there are no apostles today. No apostles today. Now, in the sense that the word apostle means sent one, in that sense, yeah, we are all sent ones. Amen. But uh, I, would, uh, I would warn you uh, and, uh, to, 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 to be careful of uh, someone or some preacher out there today who claims to be an apostle. Uh, folks, uh, Paul was, well, I guess John, uh, John the Beloved, he was the last to die. He was the last apostle in that sense of being an apostle. Uh, I am not an apostle up here today, okay? I am a pastor. I am an, I'm an under-shepherd. Um, uh, but anyway, so, and, and I believe that apostolic authority is cheapened by many of those who claim to be apostles today. Now, the Corinthian Christians tended to rely and admire carnal weapons for the battle. So instead, instead of the girdle of truth, the Corinthians would fight with manipulation. Instead of the breastplate of righteousness, they fought with the image of success. Instead of having the shoes of the gospel, they fought with smooth words. Instead of the shield of faith, they fought with the perception of power. Instead of the helmet of salvation, they fought with uh, lording, uh, overlording authority. And instead of the sword of the spirit, they fought with human schemes and programs. Now, uh, notice some interesting things here as we continue. What were some of the criticisms? Well, one of the criticisms of Paul was sometimes he's nice, sometimes he's not. Sometimes he seems really bold, other times he seems, he acts like he loves me, but then he gets up there at the same time and preaches against sin. I don't understand. You know, it's, it just was ridiculous what Paul was being accused of. He, sometimes he's bold, sometimes he's welcoming and nice. But notice this, this starts getting real personal. Look at verse number 7. Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. Um, now, one of the things that we'll, we, we may have time to look at later, but one of the things that they were actually doing, they were critical of Paul's physical appearance. They were critical of the way Paul looked. Ain't that something? So here it is. That not only are they accusing him and saying, man, he's this way when he writes letters, and then he's this way when he shows up in person. And, and then on top of that, they said, and he's kind of funny looking. Some of the, we don't have a lot of historical accounts outside of, we know that the Corinthians um, had a lot to say about his outward appearance. Um, but they definitely said at the very least that his outward appearance was weak and unimpressive. Uh, by outward appearance, it seems that Paul was unimpressive. Now, this is an early Christian writing, and it's not as early as Paul, but it goes about to the year 200. And 
This was what was said about Paul in the year 200. So about, you know, 100-something years after he lived. But it says that he was a man of small stature with a bald head and crooked legs. In good state of body, which I think means he may have carried some weight, but it says, with his eyebrows meeting, so he had a unibrow, according to this, and his nose somewhat hooked. Now, I'm not taking that as gospel, but one thing's for sure, they did criticize Paul's physical appearance. And let me tell you something about the Apostle Paul, if you think about during this day too, the Apostle Paul did not come flying in first class when he would come to visit Corinth, did he? Folks, he had a long, arduous trip, so I don't imagine he'd come in looking all prim and proper uh, when he come to town and, uh, and, 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 and all groomed and shaved and, and whatever else. He was probably a pretty rough-looking dude on top of the fact that maybe he was also a, 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 a slight, ugly dude. I don't know. But, but they, they, were actually, they were actually making fun of his physical appearance. Man, if, if that's not juvenile, I don't know what is, but that's actually what they were doing. So they criticized the Apostle Paul. Uh, the Corinthians made a lot. Remember, this was a, I told you it was an important city. It was a wealthy city. They made a lot of appearance. They made a lot out of the way somebody looked. And I'm telling you, uh, we can see some of that in our American culture, can we not? Uh, I mean, and, and, and here I am dressed uh, fairly nice today, I guess. But listen, this, this doesn't make anything, uh, the way a person dresses, I, I believe that a person, you know, I, I get all the dress your best stuff and all that. But this, the way a person dresses doesn't, doesn't make them better than or less than. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, and, but, but, but Corinth got caught up on that, and we can get caught up on some of the same things uh, in our country today. Uh, he, was, he was not apparently a good-looking man. But what he says there, though, as you get down to the end of that verse number 7, was he saying, just as you were Christ, belong to Jesus, I belong to Jesus. If you claim to belong to the Lord, look at yourself. You might not be mighty in outward appearance, but you belong to Jesus. We are all Christ if you're saved by the grace of God. You know, none of us want to be judged by our outward appearances, do we? Uh, and I'm telling you, that should matter like nothing. And a matter of fact, it's, it's kind of cool. You want to know something else? Paul's, uh, Paul's uh, being criticized for the way he speaks. Paul's being criticized for the way he looks. Uh, he's being criticized. And by the way, a lot, a root of some of this, it goes back to the thing I mentioned earlier. Uh, Paul wanted to come see them, but wasn't able to come see them when he said he was going to try to come see them. So he, he was being accused of not even caring about them because he didn't show up. But if you read the Apostle Paul's life, you find out that he had some things come up sometimes that may have hindered him along the way, right? But they were using all these. But I think it's a cool thing a powerful thing when Paul, this is something good for, for Ryan and I especially, for anyone who would want to be a, a preacher of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about some of the fear he had. He said, I didn't come, you know, and by the way, Paul was brilliant as far as like he was actually a brilliant man uh, as far as uh, his, uh, his IQ and so forth, brilliant man. But he said, when I come in 1 Corinthians, he said, I didn't come in excellency of speech. 
I didn't come. I, I know how you Corinthians are. I didn't come trying to use all these great swelling words so that you would say, oh, man, okay, maybe we should listen to this guy. He seems to be a genius. Uh, but, but, but he said, I fear. And you know what Paul's fear really involved a lot? It scared him to think that, that the reason people would be following him was because he was so smart. It would have scared Paul to think about the reason that people are listening to me is because I'm so well-dressed or because I look so good or I'm such a good speaker. Uh, listen, he said, man, that, that, that scares me because I want the motivation to be the message. I want it to be the cross of Christ. I want it to be Jesus Christ, amen? And, uh, and that being the reason uh, that people would be in favor and following this man as he follows Christ, if you will. Um, let's see, as we go, 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 continue to go down through these verses, I, I know it's a little bit unusual of a, of a message, but I just thought it was interesting leading up to the message for this morning. Uh, verse number 8, For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord has given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. That, I'm, that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. And here again, you can read the accusation again. For his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. <laughs> I, I heard some, that just reminded me of something I heard that his speech is contemptible. Number one, it, it does remind me of D.L. Moody, who was often criticized for... Uh, the way he spoke. Uh, D.L. Moody's English was horrible. Now, D.L. Moody tried, and D.L. Moody read, and, and, and he knew the Bible well, and he got educated. Um, you know, I, it, 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 there's some things about D.L. Moody, not enough, but that remind me of myself in the sense that, uh, you know, I'm not necessarily the smartest guy. I'm not necessarily, I'm just not, okay? And I'm not just some brilliant dude or something like that, that God was so blessed that he found me or something, you know, because I'm going to uh, make such a significant uh, difference in the kingdom with all of my vast wisdom and knowledge or something like that. But being ignorant and being unlearned, it doesn't give you an excuse to stay ignorant and unlearned. So you may be ignorant and unlearned, and God wants to use you, but it's our responsibility to learn and try to uh, gain more knowledge so that we might be more effective uh, for the Lord. But ultimately, uh, it's not about what we know. But D.L. Moody, he was, uh, his speech was contemptible, uh, you could say. Uh, but it reminded me of something that just made me laugh the other day. It shouldn't have made me laugh. Uh, well, it should have made me laugh, but I, I, I hate that it was said. Uh, but this goes to... Uh, at school, at uh, the school here in, uh, in town, uh, El Point Jefferson, I uh, I've started the FCA, an FCA program, and so I've, uh, I've, been getting, I've been doing devotions, or have somebody else do devotions weekly there with a group of, uh, you know, up to 30-some students, uh, and, it, and it's going to grow. We're excited about it. But it was so funny because uh, Natalie was talking to one of her, uh, one of her classmates or uh, someone else approached and said, uh, was asking some questions and blah, blah, blah. There's a little bit of background to it. But ultimately, the thing she said, she said, oh, she said, so that's your dad with that stupid accent? <laughs> that's your dad with that stupid accent? And, uh, and Natalie didn't even want to tell me because she thought it would hurt my feelings. But I'm saying it just made me laugh. Uh, uh, is, that, is that your dad with a stupid accent? But, uh, but, but Paul's speech was contemptible, they say. Verse 11. Uh, let, let such 
such a one think, uh, think this, that such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, we will be also indeed when we are present. And I'm telling you, these are strong words right here. And they're written under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost of God, and they're communicating something to, the, something to these people. Because he, basically what he's saying there is this. Okay, so those of you that say that I'm bold when I write, but I'm nice when I show up, guess what? When I show up, I'm not going to be very nice. Uh, and and, and he, he was going to use his authority. And, and it, it, Paul said in one place, those that sin, he said, rebuke before all that others may fear. He was going to take the troublemakers to task. And I'm telling you, uh, that's the way troublemakers still need to be dealt with. But that's what he said. He said, you, you think I write bold, but I'm nice when I come. I'm going to be bold when I come. And then he says this, verse 12. For we dare not, comp- uh, we dare not make ourselves of the number. And this is a, a good place to try to stop here. This is, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure as though we reach not unto you, for we are come as far as to, as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ. Basically, I want to focus therein, he's talking about measure. He's talking about comparison there. Verse 12, he says, we are not among those that commend themselves. We're not among those that commend themselves. We're not around, he said, I am not going to go around all the time telling everybody how qualified I am and how I'm not going to go around all the time talking about my authority as an apostle, he's saying. But then he goes on to say, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Isn't that a great uh, thought as far as, I believe a great thought as far as spiritual growth is, what is the measure? What is the measure of our spiritual growth? It is real easy to try to find somebody that we're doing better than. We measure ourselves among ourselves. We, we, we measure, he says, they measure themselves by themselves. It's real easy sometimes to try to find somebody that maybe you're doing better than and say, you know what, I'm better than them. I'm doing fine. I'm doing better than the average Christian. I'm doing better than the average guy. Well, that's not the measure, is it? The measure is Christ. And, 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 and so the, the, the point is this. Paul's saying, man, y'all are taking a whole lot of time to criticize me. Maybe I should take some time to look inward. You know, you're, 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 you're taking a whole lot of time looking out your window across at my porch and thinking how much I need to do to my porch and clean up my porch and clean up my yard, and your yard's a mess, right? Uh, and so that, that's what he's saying. But, but they compare themselves among themselves. Man, we ought not even be, be spending time trying to compare ourselves to each other. We're not looking around saying, well, man, how's he doing? How's she doing? You know what? We, we should care about how one another's doing, but not in the sense of comparison. We ought to pray for one another, um, encourage one another, 
Uh, but because here's the problem when we, with the, with the type of attitude that tries to compare ourselves among ourselves, rather than us just, because when I look at Christ, if Jesus Christ is the measure and the Word of God is the measure, man, I see that I've got so much work to do on myself, and I should back that off. There's a, God's got so much work to do within me. Man, I ain't got time to be trying to, trying to compare you and, and be critical of you. I've got so much to work on myself. But what we can do is we can stop working on ourselves, so to speak, or stop letting God work on us, stop striving to be all that we can be for God, because all of a sudden we stop and get to a place. By the way, can I just say this? I guess I can because I'm up here talking. I don't think somebody's going to stop me. But um, I, 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 we, I was thinking about this earlier. Some of us have backgrounds in churches that, that would have, sometimes it was an unwritten box, uh, a list of check boxes, you know. And basically, if you could do everything just right, you, you had, it's similar to the Pharisees, you had a set of rules to keep. So, you know, a, a few of those are, if you're at church every time the doors are open, and if you're dressed right, whatever that means, if you're dressed right, you're there every service, you're, I mean, we could just start running down some of these things, uh, a number of other things, then guess what you are? All of a sudden, you get to, you, you hit a ceiling, and you say, you know what, I've got this. I've got all the boxes checked. I'm one of the spiritual elite within the church. And then, you know what you get to do then? Then you get to sit up in that place and judge those that aren't like you. And it's great when somebody lays out a church, because then everybody can just sit down and talk about them. And then think about how, how, how spiritual they are because they are in church. Or, how, or, or, or talk about they saw somebody going to the movies and all of a sudden, you see what I'm saying? It, it's they compare themselves. But the problem is these people think that they've arrived already. They seem to think that they have reached some sort of um, spiritual plateau when if they would really look within, they would realize how far from God they really are with that type of attitude and that type of spirit. But by the grace of God, listen, one of, one of the things I'll say about the grace of God is, 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 is grace, you know, I, I go back to the thing of being the love church or something like that. Uh, preaching grace and preaching love, preaching liberty, preaching liberty, preaching love, preaching grace does not make you, it should not make you, if it's preached correctly, does not make you go live like an alley cat. It ought to make us go further. It ought to make us go further. It ought to make us break through that ceiling of just these rules because we're not comparing ourselves to other people. We're looking at Christ and He's the measure. And that's why somebody comes to me and they say, Preacher, I'm a mess. You don't know how bad I am. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know, but... Not as bad as me. Oh, but you're a pastor, and you know you're you're dressed right, and you're at church, and you blah 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 blah. Yeah, you know, and and uh, and you're not drinking, and you're not running around. All those things are true. Then somebody says, "Well, preacher, I am doing those things," and you know what I say? Yeah, that's bad, but I'm still worse than you. Why? Because I've got. 25, 30 years worth of knowledge and preaching and grace that I got to answer for, you may not. Uh, 
And now, what, what does that do? That doesn't say, therefore, you know what, let's just give up and let's just all go off and, and give up and just live. No, it just says, you know what, man, we're all struggling. We are all sinners. You know what, God can help you. You can get right. You, you can defeat that. Now, when you defeat that, you're going to have something else to defeat. And you're going to have something else to overcome. But you can overcome and you can live victoriously. Um, because we just understand and acknowledge that none of us have arrived. The measure is not among ourselves. The measure is Christ. That's why uh, as, a, as a, 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 a spirit-filled Christian will never be comparing themselves to other people. Never. Jesus Christ will always be the comparison. Therefore, they can never get the big head. You can never think that you're something special. Now, we're something special. Jesus loved us and all that. I understand that. But you understand what I mean, that we're better than everybody else because of A, B, and C. No, we know that, man, I'm just a sinner saved by the grace of God. And there's something else that we know. We know where we would be were it not for the grace of God. Um, and so that's why we don't compare ourselves among ourselves uh, so that we can boast um, because, again, one of the bad things about that is you do end up hurting somebody else. I, I love the illustration Jesus gave, and I know I've got to stop, but I love the illustration Jesus gave of the Pharisees. And um, the, uh, uh, the, the Pharisees, who he said had a beam in their eye, but they wanted to come help you get a, uh, what's, what's, what's the word in the King James? The moat, the splinter, the speck out of your eye so quite literally and, and you tell me jesus didn't have a sense of humor you don't know much if you don't think jesus had a sense of humor because jesus is given a word picture and he's given a word picture of these pharisees he's saying these pharisees they're comparing themselves among themselves and they're looking down at these other people and all of a sudden they look down here at randy now here's the picture i wish i had something that would work here i mean they're looking down here at randy oh what's this and he says they got a beam. This ain't a beam. And if you can just imagine a big old pole coming out of this dude's eye. I mean, a big old post. An eight-foot post hanging out of this dude's face. This is what Jesus is saying. You got this big old post, but you're not paying no attention to this. You look down there, and you say, oh, it looks like Randy's got a little splinter in his eye. And can you see the picture? It comes down. Sharon's closer. Sharon, here, let me help you. You got something in your eye. And she's scared. I don't know. I'll probably hit her with it. Uh, that's the picture that Jesus gives of the Pharisees. Now, you tell me that's not a humorous picture. It's a humorous picture, but it's also a sad picture. But, but that's what Jesus is saying. These Pharisees, most of them, let me tell you something about the Pharisees. They had the first five books of the Bible memorized. When they went out to their garden, bud, they'd give 10% of the tomatoes and 10% of the herbs. And 10% of the spices. And, uh, and, and they would wash up to their elbows every time they ate. And, and, and they would wear fancy clothes. And, and they were always in church and, and all this stuff. But Jesus said, man, y'all are just full of dead men's bones. So the, these people that weren't living right out here, that he said, Jesus said they got a beam in their eye. And you're trying to get a splinter out of somebody else's eye. And that's what people try to do when you compare yourselves among yourselves. All right, I told you it was a little different. I don't know, I just, leading up to the message today, I was just trying to give some background, work up to some background about what was going on with Paul. But uh, we all got critics. 
Um, as a general rule, I don't go around trying to answer all my critics. I, my, my first rule in life is this. When somebody criticizes me, my first rule is that I try to live such a life to where people won't believe it. <laughs> and I've told you before, I have literally had people, uh, one person in particular, going around this town uh, saying all sorts of things about me that weren't true. Going around the place where they live, telling people things about me that weren't true. So what would you do, to, do about that, preacher? Did you go around all those doors and try to find all those people? And I was like, no. Because what they were saying was so out of character that I said, you know what? If somebody wants to believe that, they can believe it. But anybody that knows me will know that that's not true. So I'm not worried about it. <laughs> so anyway, all right. Uh, that's not the only way to handle criticism. I probably should give you some other ways. But, but that's one of the ways that I handle it. I don't make too big of a deal about it. You know another way I handle criticism? A lot of times I've got to agree with it. How about that one? Preacher, I've got to be honest with you. I don't think you're that great of a preacher. <laughs> I don't either. Preacher, you could be a better pastor, don't I know it? I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you. So a lot of criticism I just got to agree with. Preacher, you don't got a jump shot anymore. I know, man, I just got to agree. All right. Uh, all right, you're dismissed. Thanks for being here. Thanks for your patience. God bless you. Don't criticize me for going long. Ha, ha, ha.